2 Kings, starting in chapter 4 and verse 8. And we're going to skip down a little bit later. How many are glad to be in church tonight? Amen? Got a smile and uh, joy on the inside. Amen. And it fell on a day that Elisha passed the Shunem, where was a great woman. And she constrained him to eat bread. So it was that as oft as he passed by, he turned in thither to eat bread. And she said unto her husband, Behold, now I perceive that this is an holy man of God, which passeth by us continually. Let us make a little chamber, I pray thee, on the wall, and let us set for him there a bed, and a table, and a stool, and a candlestick. And it shall be, when he cometh to us, that he shall turn in thither. I want to skip down to verse 32. And when Elisha was coming to the house, this is the same house that they just added this, or planned to add this addition on. Behold, the child was dead and laid upon his bed. He went in, therefore, and shut the door upon them twain, and prayed unto the Lord. And he went up, and lay upon the child, and put his mouth upon his mouth, and his eyes upon his eyes, and his hands upon his hands. And he stretched himself upon the child, and the flesh of the child waxed warm. Then he returned and walked in the house to and fro and went up and stretched himself upon him. And the child sneezed seven times. And the child opened his eyes. And he called Gehazi and said, Call the Shunammite. So he called her. And when she was come in unto him, he said, Take up thy son. And she went in and fell at his feet and bowed herself to the ground and took up her son and went out. Verse 10 is going to be my text. Let us make a little chamber, I pray thee on the wall, and let us set for him there a bed, and a table, and a stool, and a candlestick, and it shall be, when he cometh to us, that he shall turn in thither. I want to preach to you tonight with God's help on the birth, death, and resurrection of a dream. The birth, death, resurrection of a dream. Let us pray. Reverend Hill, sir, would you please pray over our message of messenger. taking the pictures today, one of the things that always sticks out is the energy of the little ones. You get these little three, four, five, six-year-olds, and they just seem to have uh, unending sources of energy. I think they've sucked it all out of mom and dad, amen? Left us low bat for life. But they just have a, 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 
a endless source of energy and an optimistic outlook and an excitement about life. And I would say that for a lot of people that lasts through their 20s. This outlook that says, I've got my whole life in front of me. I've got, I've got hope. I can make a difference. Maybe even during high school, you sat down with your friends and you said, you know what? We are going to change the world. We're going to make a difference. And that's good. That's important. The idealism, the hope, the energy, the dream that God gives us. Now when I speak today of a dream, I'm not speaking necessarily of making a million dollars if that's your dream or perhaps to climb Mount Everest or some uh, secular task. But the same thing happens in a new birth. When a man or woman first gets saved, there's that optimistic outlook, that hope, that dream within them that, that longs to change their world, to make a difference for God. That's something on the inside that says, Man, if God can change me like he did, he can change others. And, and it longs to be a part and to see it happen in someone else's life. And that's something that needs to be treasured. That's something that needs to be fed. That's something that needs to be maintained. Paul talked about, I die daily. He was talking about putting to death the, the flesh and its, its desires and, and the sinful or the carnal, I should say, aspects of flesh often want to bring an end to the spiritual dreams and hopes that God gives us. And so Paul said, I've got to daily die to those things, least they kill my dream. I've got to maintain this hope. This desire to, to make a difference in the world. In our Bible reading, we have a good parallel of this birth, death, and resurrection of a dream. There's a very astute woman. The Bible doesn't give us her name. We just know her as the, the Shunammite. And she was spiritually in tune when her husband didn't seem to be as much. She saw the prophet coming by the house, and she beckoned him, hey, come on in, because spiritual people want spiritual fellowship, and spiritual people desire to sit under the feet of somebody who might be able to share something good with them. And she beckoned him to come in and made some bread for him and fed the man and his servant, and she saw that he often passed by there, and she said, you know what, to her husband, why don't we make a, a, a room here? There weren't any Hiltons or Marriott's or Motel 6's back then. And so travelers had to depend upon the mercy, the kindness of those that they went by. And this woman, knowing that the man often passed by, said, let me prepare a place. So when he does pass by, I can offer him a place to stay food, a place where he can rest. I'll make it nice so he wants to come by 
And I want you to understand, she was not only being generous, she was being wise. Went to Bible college, and someone told me, you can be as close to the man of God as you want to be. And so I started looking for opportunities. Some of the brethren actually shined the shoes of some of the leaders. But they were all, that job was already taken up. So I couldn't do that. Pastor Davis already had somebody cutting his grass. I couldn't do that. But then I found an opening. Reverend Keckle didn't have anybody cutting his grass. I said, hey, sir, let me cut your grass for you. And he let me get in there. I started cutting grass and mowing some snakes up. <laughs> yes, I did. Joyfully. <laughs> if you like snakes. Anyhow, whatever. But mowing some snakes up. And uh, things would happen. I wanted to get in there to get close. And opportunities would present themselves where sometimes it would be us brethren there helping and, and suddenly something spiritual would come up. And because I was there, I got a chance to hear it. After church, this was before either of the, uh, the chapels were, were built. After church, our church at the time in the Bible college was uh, uh, one of the big classrooms now. And they had folding chairs. And so it would be on us to uh, move the folding chairs and get them ready for Bible college or straighten them up for the next class. And, and I did that because I knew that sometimes after the folding of the chairs, Pastor Davis would be hanging around. And sometimes he'd invite the guys to go out and they'd go to Denny's. Or they'd go to, uh, what's the name of the other restaurant? The other restaurant there on South Tacoma Way. And they'd sit down and have a, a meal and some coffee. So I looked for ways to get close. I prepared a place in my life so I could get near the man of God. And I can remember some of those teachings at the restaurant, sitting around the table to this day. So this woman making a space to induce the man of God to come by was very smart. Very smart. You see, if we really want to get closer to God, you've got to make space in your life. You've got to prepare time in your life. Time is like money. If you don't make a budget and tell your money where to go, after you get paid and three or four days pass, you ask, where did it all go? But a budget is saying, this is where my money is going to go when I get it. And you tell your money where to go instead of asking where did it all go. We've got to do the same thing with our time. We say we want to get closer to God. You've got to develop a system, a time where I'm going to stop and read God's word. And just about every morning, I make my way down to my basement. And I've got a coffee maker right there. And I pull out my Bible and make some espressos and start my day making time to hear from God's Word. You see, if you don't stop and make time, you'll say, well, I just don't have time. And that's not true. Because we all have the same 24 hours of the day. It's just that we've got to make space by removing something. We've got to make space by shifting something, by letting some of the non-essentials go so that we can make place for God to move in our life. 
We have to make a way to get closer. Preparing a place or making space. It may be adjusting your sleep schedule. It may be to remove some non-essentials. TV and movies and, and endless scrolling on social media or the internet. It may, it may mean making time to get to every church service and do the spiritual disciplines. And you can make it if you want to. You can make it if you want to. And so this woman made that space, and soon Elijah was passing by there. Elisha, I should say, was passing by there. And she'd come in and cook him some bread. And, and the husband seemed to be okay with it, but he didn't seem to be the one that was uh, pushing this. One time he got there, and he, and he called a servant by the net way. His servant's name was Gehazi. And Gehazi, as we know later, did not have a good character. And we're going to see that that played out, even in our Bible reading. And, and Elisha said to Gehazi, man, this lady's been so good to us. Let's ask her what she wants. Now look, when you start to make space for God in your life, it's not too long until God turns around and he wants to make space and place for you. When you start to put God first in your life, it's not long because God is not like a, a lot of folks. You give and you give and you give and you give and they never give back. You spend time, you love, you love, you love, and they just kind of take it and run. God's not like that. And when you put him first in your life, it's not long until God wants to uh, show that love back to you. And Gehazi and Elisha called the woman and said, hey, what do you want? What do you want? What can we do for you? Are you wanting some fame? We can talk to the captain, the guard. Are you wanting some, some money? We can bless you that way. What is it that you want? She said, no, that's not what I'm after. I'm not after some kind of fame. I'm not looking for financial blessing. And Gehazi seemed to tune into the thing that was missing in our life. She didn't have any children. She said, I want life. I want a child. And uh, she didn't say it out loud, but Gehazi spoke it to the prophet and said, oh, you don't have a child? Well, I'll tell you what. At this time next year, you're going to have a child. And she said, oh, no, please don't lie to your servant. It can't be. Don't lie to your servant. But that's exactly what took place. When we make space for God and God has, we have a dream that we want to see take place. And I, and I hope, but when you get saved, you just kind of think, now if you've been around a while, it may take a little while to dust off some of those dreams that God gave you. You might have to dig a little deeper to remove some of the calluses that, that have grown up over them. You might have to remind yourself of how God spoke to you, whether it was about preaching in the pulpit or whether it was about reaching somebody for Christ or, or being a soul winner or maybe singing or doing something in the church or, or teaching a Sunday school class. You might have to remind yourself. You might have to stir that dream up again. But when you make space for God in your life and you, and you remove the non-essentials and you begin to elevate prayer and Bible reading and church time as your number one priority, it's not long until God turns around and says, what can I do for you? He did it for Solomon. Solomon, what do you want? You want riches? You want long life? What do you want? He said, I don't want that. I just want some wisdom. I need to know how to lead this, your great people. And God said, all right, Solomon. Why, why, did, why did God do that? Because Solomon had made all these sacrifices. He was making space in his life to hear from God. He was elevating God. 
God turned around and said, all right, Solomon, I hear you. What can I do? I'm not after the money, God. I'm not after these other things. I just want wisdom. I want to do a good job. God said, I'm impressed with you, Solomon, in so many words. I'm going to give you wisdom, and not only am I going to give you wisdom, I'm going to add to the wisdom the money. I'm going to add to the wisdom a long life. I'm going to give you things you didn't even ask for. You can't go wrong putting God first in your life. And some of you that relegate God to second place or the, or the, 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 uh, the tail end of whatever's left in your life because you're pursuing money or you're pursuing relationships, you got it backwards. If you put God first, God will take care of you. What do you want? I want a child. She didn't even think at first it could happen. What is it? What, is, what dream are you after? Is it to be a preacher? Is it to be a, a soul winner? Is it to influence, to be a, a, a person that could talk to somebody else and see them come out of darkness and, and come out of a, a person that becomes so bold and, and so moved with a, a, a zeal for souls that they knock on their neighbor's door and invite them to church or witness to them or testify. And soon the place around you isn't empty anymore because you've won this one and you've won that one and you've invited this one and you've invited that one. And, and pretty soon you see it filling up. Why? Because you have a desire, a dream God. God, I want to see my city saved. God, I want to see uh, uh, my neighborhood changed. God, I want to see my nation uh, transformed soul by soul. God gives birth to our dream as we make space for him. So life came. The woman, just like the prophet said, gave birth. And all was well. I don't know, but... What do you think, Brother Tuhig, when you got a special place like that for the prophet and he wasn't around? I just picture there were times that the woman went into that room and it became a prayer room. Times that she was in there and she said, God, I just want to thank you. I remember trying to get old skin flint to build this addition. <laughs> I'm glad you touched his heart. I'm glad you helped us to make space so that that he could come by. And now, God, look what happened. Because we made space for you, you have given me this child, this son. And, God, I want to thank you. You've given birth to this, uh, this dream I had, this life that I craved, this desire that I had. And I imagine she spent time in there praying. One day, the, the boy was out with his dad. It seemed like he got heat stroke. And he cried, my head, my head. And they took the boy back to the mother. And I'm still kind of shaking my head. Maybe dad didn't understand how serious it was. Maybe he wasn't really in tune. He didn't go back. He didn't stop working. The servant took the boy back to the mom. And the boy laid on the mom's lap. And the mom ministered as much as she could. And then he died. Now, that's the hard part. You see, God gives birth to a dream, and he gives us life, and things start coming alive. But what do you do when your dream dies? What do you do when that which you long for and hope for and yearn for is taken from you? And maybe the marriage didn't work out the way you thought it would. Maybe the child didn't turn out the way you thought it would. Maybe your future didn't come out 
the way you thought it would. What do you do when your dream dies? It would have been easy for that woman to just fall apart. The fact that she stayed and she kept it together is a testament to her belief and faith in God. But she took that dead child of hers. And where did she take it? To the very place that it all began. The place that she had made space for at the beginning. The place where her dream came alive is the same place where she could lay her dead dream and say, God, you've got to do something. You see, there's times that maybe mama can't help you. There's times that papa can't help you. There's times that nobody else can help you. You got to go right back to that same place of prayer. You got to go right back to that same uh, uh, holy place, that same spot, to, and get along with God and say, God, I don't know what to do. And I don't see how I can get out of this. And I don't understand why this stuff is happening. But I need you to do something. But if you don't make any space in your life, you don't make any place for God. You don't move uh, some of these non-essentials out till they crowd out the very life of God. As the scripture said, they choke it out. What will you do when your dream dies? Will you die with it? Not this woman. Tragedy struck. That same room came into play again. When she went to the man of God, she asked her husband, hey, can you send me one of the servants and, and one of the, the animals? I need to get to the man of God. And it was almost as if she didn't even bother telling him. Old Nodhead's not going to understand why I'm going to go to the prophet when the boy's already dead. She had a faith that he didn't have. And so he sent the servant and he sent the animal and, and uh, got on the animal and said, she said, you don't stop, you don't slow down unless I tell you to slow down. We got to get to the man of God. And they drove to where the man of God was. And the man of God saw, Elisha saw them coming along a way off and, and sent Gehazi and said, hey, go ask, what's going on? Is it well with you? Is it well with your son? Is it well with your husband? And she said, it is well. But when she got there, she fell at his feet and grabbed his, his feet. And Gehazi came over. I mean, this guy seems to be, Gehazi, we already know his character's bad, but he seems to be spiritually obtuse. He doesn't know that this woman's, her very soul is, is uh, uh, in turmoil within her. You know, sometimes people operate on a surface, uh, a surface plane. And they have no, they have no discernment. No spiritual uh, or, or even emotional intelligence to understand what's going on. Are you still tracking with me? And Gehazi is like, man, let go of the prophet. And the prophet says, hey, wait, 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 wait. Don't you see her soul's in turmoil and the Lord has hid it from me? And she begins to cry saying, didn't I tell you? Didn't I say don't lie to thy servant? She tells him that the boy is dead. She and he tells Gehazi, here, take my, my, my uh, rod and go lay it upon the boy's face. Don't stop. Don't slack. You just go. And Gehazi goes and he lays it on the boy's face. But nothing happens. But the woman, she wasn't deterred. She, wasn't, she didn't come for the servant of the prophet. She came for the prophet. She didn't come to the servant of 
the prophet. She came for the prophet. She didn't come for the servant of the dream. We didn't come, you know, sometimes we mistake where our answer comes from. It doesn't come from the church. It doesn't come from the preacher. It comes from God. And you can get frustrated sometimes complaining about why the church won't do something for me or why the pastor won't do something for me. But it wasn't the church or it wasn't the pastor that gave birth to your dream or that gave life to you. It was God. And so when things don't work out, don't come back and blame and point the finger at the church or the preacher. Go back to God because God is the one that can do something about it. She wasn't going to settle for the servant. And good thing because the servant came back, he didn't, he didn't have anything. So Elisha goes. Now there's a few little, little wonderful gems and jewels in here. You know that most revivals have taken place because somebody told the story of a previous revival. And when they told the story of a previous revival, people became aware of what God could do and they wanted it. And they began praying and they began fasting. They began seeking God and God gave them revival. Now we know that Elisha was the servant of Elijah. And we know that Elijah had experienced a similar situation before. When Elijah had been down by the widow in Zarephath, and we find that her son had died, that Elijah had stretched himself upon the boy three times, and the boy came back to life. Now I can imagine that Elijah and Elisha, as they were spending time and they, they were ministering, there were times that Elijah would, would download into Elisha. Let me tell you what God did one time. One time I, I was there in Zarephath and, and God had provided for us and this widow woman's son died. And God directed me. I didn't know what to do, but God directed me. He said, you go up and you lay on that boy. And you lay on that boy three times and I did it. And Elisha, let me tell you something. The boy came back to life. God is a good God. Sometimes we share what God has done in our lives to somebody else. And it gives them not only the knowledge but the faith to believe that God can do it in their life. So Elisha had that, didn't he? And when Elisha got to where that room was. That same room that she had made space, that same room that she had made place, that same room that, that he had first called her and there was the birth. The Bible said he shut the door. He got up there and he shut the door and he said, I know what to do. And he began to pray. And the Bible said he stretched himself upon that child. Eye to eye. Mouth to mouth and hand to hand. And as I was re reading and praying and meditating on this this morning, and I thought sometimes my own soul seems to be dead. We all go through these seasons and cycles in life. And, and God, I just need you to stretch yourself upon me. I just need you, God, let me see what you see. Let me uh, breathe into me. Uh, let me feel what you feel. God, uh, give me your hands. I want that same infusion of life you gave me when I first got saved. Uh, I want that dream to come alive again. Uh, I want that unction uh, and that calling uh, to ring true in my life again. God, uh, if it's died, let there be a resurrection. 
Because Elisha knew that somebody had downloaded into him. Hey, sister, when you're teaching that Sunday school class, it's not just babysitting. Why don't you speak into them? Why don't you share with them what God's done? Why don't you understand it's, it's more than just time kept uh, uh, corralling the, the Mohicans, but it's, it's a chance to teach them. They don't make some of the mistakes that we made because I wasn't raised with a Christian Sunday school knowledge. Speak to them. Elisha had heard what to do. He shut the door. He prayed. Now, it's interesting. He stretched himself once, and then he got up. Let me read to you what it says. He went in, therefore, shut the door upon them twain, and prayed unto the Lord. And he went up and lay upon the child and put his mouth upon his mouth and his eyes upon his eyes and his hands upon his hands. And he stretched himself upon the child, and the flesh of the child waxed warm. So that's one time. Then the Bible said, then he returned. Now, I'm sure that Elisha's thinking, all right, Elijah told me three times. And so one time he did, and then he went back the second time. And when he got up, he was shocked to see that the child started sneezing and say, well, I guess I don't need the third time, amen. And the child came back to life, and he presented the child to his mother. The dream was alive again. Hey, sister. I know you may, you may think that, well, that dream and that hope and that idealism and that, that fire and that zeal I had in my youth uh, seems to be gone, seems to be uh, on the, on, I'm on the, the downhill journey. I'm just kind of coasting until God takes me home or until this life is over. No, don't settle for that. Get in somewhere. Shut the door. Start to pray. Stretch yourself and say, God, put your hands on my hands. Let me see. Put your eyes on my eyes. Let me speak what you speak. Let me speak faith. I don't want to walk around talking about how old I am and how this is going wrong and that's going wrong. Stop that junk. That's not what God wants us to do. The Bible said that in our old age that we would be flourishing. We would still be bringing forth fruit. That we would not, we're not going to wax weak. We ought to be stronger and stronger. Don't speak it. Don't believe it. Don't act it out. Don't settle some of your 40 going on 98, 50 years old like you're 110, over the hill, always talking about this is going wrong and that's going wrong. Because you always talk about it. It's almost like a badge of honor for you to be sick. Oh, I'm, I'm not feeling good today. Well, it's like every other day. You always say you don't feel good. You have faith for it. You might as well just be sick for the rest of your life. Not me, man. I like feeling good. Amen. So when something starts coming on, I said, man, I, I claim that divine health, Jesus. I lay hands on my sick. You said, whoever I lay hands on, they shall recover. I'm believing you for strength and vitality. I want to be alive all the days of my life. I don't want to be, uh, and I'm not, we're not finding fault with folks that may experience difficulties. But man, I don't want to be when I'm 80 or 60 or, or uh, 90, bent over and unable to do anything. Let me be full of strength. I want to be like Joshua, who's said, as I was then, so am I now. I'm just as strong as I was. Let me be alive and vital to the day that God takes me out of here. And I believe a lot of that is what you convince yourself. You think you're going to be uh, weak and, and, and uh, uh, decrepit, snap, crackle, pop, 
Rice Krispies and complaining about your arthritis and complaining about your gallstones and complaining about this and complaining about that. Man, stop that stuff. Give glory to God. Thank God that you're alive. Thank God that you're able to come to church. Thank God you're able to do something for Jesus. Matter of fact, I just believe that the more you do, the more God will give us energy to do something else. I'm almost done. Get ready, musicians. We were talking recently with Reverend Keckle. And he was talking about how Pastor Davis had asked God for some money. Not for personal use, but for the ministry. And he was praying and, and he was, uh, dry, I think he was driving down the road. And he said he asked God for this, this money and, the, and for the ministry. He said, God, give me this amount of money, give me this amount of money. And then God spoke to me and said, well, you haven't spent what I gave you yet. Why should I give you any more? Use what I've given you and then I'll refill it. And pastor began to understand, ah, okay. And he began to put it, instead of just saving it and letting the inflation eat away at it, he began to use it for the work of God, use it for the ministry. And God kept on blessing and kept on refilling. Now I believe that's the way it is with our life. Use your life. What are you saving it for? What are you, what are you waiting on? Use that time and that energy and that, that, that brain and, and that body to do all that you can while you can. The birth, the death, and the resurrection of a dream. What do you do? When your dream has died, shut the door. Get alone with God. Let God stretch himself upon you and wrap you in his love and bring you back to life. But let me tell you something. I can't do it for you. and You can't do it for me. I can pray for you, and I will, and you'll pray for me, I hope. But when it comes to your resurrection, you've got to be the one. Whatever it takes, lock yourself in a closet, go out in the garage, find that spare bedroom, make space, and say, God, I'm going to stay here until you bring life again. Would you bow your head, close your eyes? God, I thank you. I know how relevant this is. In our youth, dreams and hopes to change the world, to do great things. And then life just seems to try to break us. And God, if the dreams and the desire and the fire isn't what it used to be, God, let there be a resurrection. Let there be a reviving. Let there be a, a place where we make space, close the door, say, God, do it again. I need you. Father, I thank you for your presence, your power tonight. And I ask you now, God, move in this altar call. Give us a hunger, a determination to pray and seek your face. Let life come again, we ask in Jesus' wonderful name. These altars are open. Let's come find a place of prayer. Come on and seek the Lord tonight.